first. Uh, the meeting will come to order now, and we will begin with a flag salute. Please join me for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. At this time, staff may call the roll. Thank you. Uh, Vice Chair Skorponich? Here. Committee Member Fox? Here. Committee Member Imboden? Here. Committee Member Farfan? Here. Committee Member Gross? Here. Committee Member Ledesma? Here. Chair McDermott? Here. Let the record show there is a quorum. Thank you. Uh, now we have an opportunity for public comment for anything that's not already on the agenda. Uh, I know that a lot of you are here to speak for the item that is on the agenda, and if you haven't filled out a card, please get one from the back and, and hand it in up front if you would like to speak later when we get to that in a couple of minutes, actually. Uh, is there anyone for public comment not on the agenda? No, I don't see anyone. So we can move on to our consent calendar. Uh, the only item is approval of minutes from the February 7th meeting. Uh, is there a motion? Chair, I'm happy to move for approval. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second to approve the meeting minutes from the last meeting. Madam Chair, I'd like to abstain since I was not present okay. for that meeting. Okay, and one abstention. When ready, please vote. Okay, that passes. And now we can move on to our next item, which is uh, an item of committee business that comes around once a year where we select a chair and a vice chair for a one-year term starting tomorrow. And the way that uh, we will do this is I will nominate someone for chair and we will vote on it. And then whoever that person is can nominate someone for vice chair, and we'll vote on that. Uh, and I would like to nominate Vice Chair Marianne Skorpanich for the position of chair. Does that require a second? If so, I'll uh, second. Yes, yes. <clears throat> we'll have a second. Thank you. Oh, Carol Fox. No, Carol Fox has seconded. Okay, please vote. We still have the second. Oh, they'll fix it later. <laughs> okay, so that's a unanimous approval for Marianne to be elevated to chair, and now I will look to her to nominate a vice chair. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I'd like to nominate Mr. Fair. Farfan for um, vice chair for the coming year. And I will second that. Okay, when we're ready, please vote. All right, that passes unanimously. So at our next meeting, Business will be conducted by our new chair, Marianne Skarpanich, and our vice chair, um, Jericho Farfan.
Now we can move to our, um, our old business, which is item 5.1 on the agenda, a proposal to construct 49 small homes located at 901 East Catella Avenue, design review number 5092-22. And the recommended action is a recommendation of approval to the Planning Commission. So before we get started on that, I just want to explain to all the members of the public that are here how this is, this is going to work. Um, first, we'll have a staff report on the project, and then the applicant will have an opportunity to um, make a presentation. After that, we'll have public speaking. Uh, I'll open the public se- uh, section, and I will call, I will call you um, by the cards that have been handed in. And then after that, the public session will be closed, and um, you won't be able to say anything else. <laughs> it will be only the design review committee will be speaking um, at that portion. Uh, and then I also, before we get into this also, I want to explain a little bit. I know many of you were here before, so you know this already, but how, how this um, project is going to proceed. So first, we're going to have review by design review um, here tonight, and we are going to consider and review um, many things, including uh, everything that is related to design, including overall, the overall site light layout, the building orientation, architectural elements, window arrangement and placement, privacy, shade and shadow, landscaping, common and private open space, fences and walls, lighting, signage, compliance with the small lot subdivision guidelines, and all other design issues. We have a required finding to find that the project upholds community aesthetics through the use of an internally consistent integrated design theme. And then we will make a decision tonight uh, and make a recommendation, and it will go to the Planning Commission. The Planning Commission has authority over all those things that the design review um, will be considering. In addition, Planning Commission is going to consider the general plan amendment, major site plan review, zone change, neighborhood parking, traffic, noise, operations, and all the land use issues. Those are not going to be for our consideration this evening. And then after Planning Commission makes their recommendation, it's going to go to City Council, and then it will be everything and anything is going to be considered by City Council. So you um, you can form your comments based on those, on those things. So let's go ahead um, and proceed now with the staff report, if staff is ready. Thank you. Share the screen. Good evening, Chair McDermott and members of the Design Review Committee. The project before you this evening is a proposal to redevelop an existing 2.7-acre commercial site with 49 two- and three-story small-lot homes, open space recreation areas, guest parking, and related site improvements. On December 6, 2023, the DRC reviewed the project design and provided comments to the applicant. The DRC continued the project to the February 7, 2024 meeting in order for the applicant to address the committee's comments and concerns. 
On February 7, 2024, the DRC continued the project once again to allow the applicant additional time to work with staff and provide the requested information and revisions on the plans. A full report of the project was presented at the De December 6, 2023 meeting, and my pre presentation this evening will include a short project summary and focus on the DRC's comments and how the applicant has responded to the comments. Before I begin, I'd like to include a condition of approval that was included in the December 6, 2024 staff report, but was mistakenly omitted in the present staff report. The condition reads, patio covers, pergolas, canopies, umbrellas larger than five feet in diameter, or similar shade structures and overhead patio string lighting are not permitted on the rooftop decks. Heat lamps and other outdoor accessory fixtures shall not extend above the height of the roof, parapet, balcony, or railing. The project proposes a residential small lot subdivision at the northeast corner of Catella Avenue and Cambridge Street on a commercial site formerly occupied by AT&T and a wireless communication facility. Because the type of project is not permitted in the commercial general plan designation or zone, the applicant is requesting a general plan amendment to change the designation from general commercial to multifamily residential, a zone change from commercial professional to residential multifamily, and application of the Smollett subdivision development standards. A Smollett subdivision development standards allow for the development of smaller fee simple residential lots in multifamily residential zones. These, re these development standards allow for a space efficient and economical alternative to traditional options for home ownership. The project includes small lots configured around a 25 foot wide looped interior roadway. The majority of the units are three stories with roof decks, while units along the northern boundary are two stories, abutting the one-story single-family residence to the north. The units along Cambridge Street and Catella Avenue are oriented towards the streets and sidewalks to create a, a relationship between the buildings and the pedestrian. The project introduces a contemporary residential design that's intended to respond to the eclectic, contemporary visual character of the area. Architectural elements include roof forms, window, including roof forms, window arrangements, and alternating plane changes add to the project's visual interest. The proposed exterior building materials also contribute to the architectural character of the project. The project also provides common open space to enhance the project aesthetics and provide amenities to the residents. Private open space is provided in the form of roof decks for all three-story units and rear yards for units 1 through 12. Streetscape and landscaping, including the removal of 19 existing mature trees and incorporation of a variety of water-efficient plant material along the street frontages, project interior, and, per and perimeter boundaries, including 54 new trees. Three new street trees will be planted along the Catella Avenue street frontage. Additional detailed project information is included within the staff report for the project. On December 6, 2023, the DRC provided comments to the applicant pertaining to the overall site layout, building architecture, privacy, shade and shadow, and landscaping. A detailed list of the comments is provided within the staff report. Comments regarding the overall site layout included a lack of pedestrian access to the pocket park along the north property line, 
The double wall along the north property line in, it has a potential for animals and debris to get caught in between. Trash collection and storage concerns. Guest access to units along Cambridge Street and Catella Avenue. Not enough room for adequate and sustainable landscaping to have a sense of entry or to have a separation between very tall and harsh architecture. Entitlements of the existing cell site. The project does not meet the goals of the small lot subdivision ordinance in that the subdivision may not fit into the existing neighborhood context. And the location and markability of unit number 45, which is located directly behind the existing bus stop. Comments regarding building architecture, privacy, shade, and shadow in included. Concern about the height and number of homes and limited landscaping. Third story decks ask, act as a fourth story and decks located close to the Catella, to Catella Avenue are concerning for safety reasons. Second story setbacks and window placement along the north property line. The height of the two-story buildings and 10-foot rear setback along the north property line compounds view impacts with solar shading problems. The DRC requested, a, requested line of sight studies as viewed from the second and third story north facing windows and roof decks to the Carlton Avenue properties, including locations where there are no units backing the north property line. The project needs to be more suburban on the north side to uphold community aesthetics. Second and third story building facades enclose into the drive aisles, creating a caved-in corridor with little room for landscaping. Side and rear elevations along the drive aisles are simple and boxy. Trash storage and pickup and landscaping are suffering due to the number of proposed units. Location of gas meters and air conditioners, window material and frame color, wall-mounted lighting above rear patio doors on the two-story units, cut sheets and specifications for all exterior lighting, visibility of lighting under the patio cover in the pocket park along the north property line. Comments regarding landscaping included, trees along the north property line are not positioned to screen views from second-story windows, concerns about maintenance of trees along the north property line, the crepe myrtle trees are not typically used for landscape screening and the Italian cypress trees may not provide adequate screening along the north property line. The shade and shadow plans do not address landscaping in the backyards of units one through 12 or the drive aisles adjacent to the three-story buildings. The drive aisles will be in full shade all of the time. Planting material specified is more suitable for full and partial sun conditions. Concerns about plant selection and health of tree root systems. Plans shall include valve boxes and transformers, and the use of synthetic turf is not included on the landscape plans. The applicant's responses to comments. So in response to the DRC's comments, the applicant has revised the plans and provided additional information responding to several concerns and recommendations by the committee. The applicant's written responses to comments are included in attachment 11 to the staff report. Updates regarding the overall site layout include, the conceptual site plan was modified to clearly include plan designations that correspond to the unit summary and parking requirements. A pedestrian walkway was provided to access for access to the pocket park along the north property line. Air conditioning units are included in the rear yards of units 1 through 12. 
the trash management plan was revised to show all trash carts located outside of the fire lane during trash pickup day, and the applicant has provided a justification letter in attachment 11 for the proposed location of trash, trash carts and pictures to help describe the trash storage and pickup operations. Plans were revised to include a conceptual layout of electrical transformers in the interior landscape planters. Updates regarding building architecture, privacy, shade, and shadow include the second story north elevations of units 1 through 12 were modified to include a step back of 12 to 15 feet from the north property line. The first floor setback of 10 feet remains the same. The plan 3, or Carlton adjacent floor plans, and elevations were modified by replacing the large north-facing second-story primary bedroom windows with two-story clear-story windows. The windows will be located approximately seven feet above the interior finished floor to the bottom of the windows. The east elevations of units one through six and west elevations of units seven through 12 were modified by replacing the two smaller rectangular windows with one large primary window to meet egress requirements for each unit. Neighbor adjacency exhibits were modified to illustrate the window changes on units 1 through 12. Building elevations including exterior, include exterior window, vinyl window material and bronze frame color notations. Revised view studies are included with section lines to illustrate the privacy views as seen from the roof decks through the six-foot gaps between the two-story units and the park, pocket park along the north property line. Perspective views from the third story north facing bedroom window and roof deck of unit 20 through the pocket park along the north property line are included and additional perspective views are provided in attachment 13. The shade and shadow analysis was updated, updated to include existing and proposed project conditions during the winter solstice from 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. when the sun angle is lowest, resulting in the most restrictive time period. The analysis shows that at 9.30 a.m. during the winter solstice, both existing and proposed project shading is similar in that shading is absent from most of the northerly residential buildings except for two properties located at 932 and 942 East Carlton Avenue. However, these buildings are already shaded at this time by existing trees on the project site and on the pro private properties. Details of the shade and shadow analysis are provided within attachment 15. Exterior rear patio door lighting on units 1 through 12 um, are included on the plan 3 rear elevations. LED shade structure down lighting in the pocket park along the north property line and exterior lighting design specifications are also provided. Updates regarding the landscaping include the landscape plans were revised to include a dense row of shrubby yew shrubby podocarpus shrubs along the entire north property line and at the northeast corner of Unit 12. Natchez crepe myrtle and Italian cypress trees previously located in the rear corners of Units 1 through 12 were replaced with little gem magnolia trees and the hybrid olive tree in the pocket park was replaced with a southern live oak tree to provide larger canopies for screening and privacy purposes. General revisions were made to the conceptual planting plan to address shade and sunlight sensitive plants. And three camphor street trees were added along the Catella Avenue frontage. 
Planning Division staff received 37 notices of opposition from the neighboring community and forwarded the letters to the DRC in advance of the December 6, 2023 meeting. In addition, public comments were posted on the city's website and the community members spoke at the meeting. Neighborhood concerns pertaining to the project design included second story window placement, three story units with rooftop decks, and lack of green landscape screening along the north property line compromised privacy. The two story homes located 10 feet away impact the backyards of the existing residences. Three story buildings with roof decks are out of character with the Catella Avenue corridor. The scale of the property of the project will impact sun and backyards and solar panel, panel performance. The project does not have enough green space and trees. Responsive, responsible development needs to be provided to support construction. The project would increase light pollution. The modern design and intensity of the development is inconsistent with existing context. And the project does not adhere to the small lot subdivision guidelines and the city's general plan land use policies 1.2, 1.4, and 1.6. In summary, the applicant's plan revisions and responses resolve several concerns expressed by staff, the DRC, and the neighboring community. The project's compliance with the small lot subdivision development standards, coordinated architectural style, use of matching colors and materials, as well as landscape and streetscape design as proposed presents an overall integrated design theme. And that concludes my report, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you very much. Now, uh, if uh, the applicant wants to make a presentation, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Chair McDermott, committee members and staff, I wanna thank you for having us back in front of you this evening. Um, again, my name is Emily Samard, and I'm a project manager with Intracorp Homes, so I'm pleased to present this project on behalf of Intracorp. I want to thank staff again for all the work that they've been doing to get us to this point. As you guys know, it's a lot of collaboration between departments, and to get us to this point um, has been appreciated, and um, we enjoy working with you. I also want to thank the community members that are here tonight or, or watching from home. Um, to those who have reached out to learn more about the project since our last DRC meeting and have taken time out of their days to meet with us, whether it be in their homes or a local coffee shop, um, it's such a vital part of our process at Intracorp, and it becomes really meaningful um, to us as we move forward. I want to mention that we're also joined by our consultant team. So we have Carlson Land Solutions, the City and Lagoni, Land Concern, and CNV Consulting. Um, all in attendance with us so that we can fully answer any questions that may come up. You can go to the first slide. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so during this, during this presentation, I'm not going to go through all the project specifics. Um, we did that last time. Monique did a great job going through everything in her staff report. So I'm just gonna focus on the modification that, that we have made um, as a direct response and result of your feedback from the December DRC meeting. So just to reorient everybody on, on the location that we're uh, speaking of, of the proposed project area, you can see that the site's located in a transitional area of the city 
at the northeast corner of Cambridge Street and Catella Avenue. The site's in close proximity to many retail and mixed-use centers and is less than two miles from Old Town. The current site uh, is, as Monique said, just over 2.7 acres, and it's currently housing a 27-foot-tall abandoned AT&T call center, as well as a 53-foot cell tower. Uh, the site has been frequented by police and the fire department uh, since we have been looking at this project uh, due to service calls from transient and criminal activity, and it's just been an ongoing nuisance for the city of Orange. So on the screen here is our current site plan. And I'm going to go through the impactful changes that we're going to go uh, over with you tonight. Uh, we broke this up into five major categories. So privacy along the north boundary, access to the central park space, shade studies, landscape selections, and line of sight views um, are the main areas that we will be going forward. Uh, after reflecting on the feedback from the previous meeting, we felt that these are the most significant um, areas of concern. I'll start with privacy along the north boundary. One of the more significant changes that we were able to capture here was the size reduction of the two-story product. Uh, this was achieved by stepping back that second story up to five feet, which provides up to a 15-foot setback along that north boundary. Towards the end of the presentation, I'll show you a visual so that you can see the additional relief that this provides. We are also able to remove the large window from the north elevation on the second story, on the second story um, of the north product, which is the primary bedroom wall facing East Carlton, and replaced it with two small windows that are elevated above the line of sight. Uh, we're also suggesting the application of obscured glass here. The egress window, as Monique had said, has been moved to the west wall on units 1 through 6 and the uh, east wall on units 7 through 12. So with this change, there are no windows on the second story that provide a direct line of sight to those uh, northern adjacencies. <clears throat> I'll go through landscaping again in a few slides, but pertaining to the northern boundary, boundary privacy uh, specifically, we've implemented a continuous hedge along the entire boundary and have added additional trees so that there's a tree landing in each transition of those two-story homes. With the suggestion from committee member Farfan, um, in the last meeting, we took a look at the proposed tree species that we were showing and changed the crepe myrtle and the cypress to a little gem magnolia, which is evergreen and provides a canopy that's more suitable for screening small spaces. We're also pro proposing a southern live oak tree for that central open space area to more adequately screen neighbors from the three-story homes across the street that fall within that space. Here's a visual um, of the impact that these changes will create. As you can see from the, the floor plan, we are able to achieve that additional setback. Um, for reference, the solid black line is reflecting the footprint of the home, which was our original limit for the second story. So you can get a sense of the difference that this will make in terms of massing and relief along the north boundary. You can also reference here images of the exterior elevation and mock-ups of the primary bedroom and bathroom so that you can get a sense of the window size and placement and how these rooms will uh, actually live. The base of the windows, as Monique Oops. said, um, sits at about seven feet. 
So as mentioned previously, there are no windows on the north boundary that will provide a direct line of sight to, to the neighbors. Issues accessing the park, um, Monique has it up on the screen, was something pointed out by committee member and Bowden in our last ERC meeting. So we are able to adjust the homes along the north property line to facilitate the implementation of an ADA pathway leading to the central park area. So we're happy to say that uh, grandma can now come to the barbecue <laughs> as reference as an example uh, in the last GRC meeting. Next slide. Because of the amount of discussion surrounding potential shade and shadowing uh, in our last meeting, we wanted to spend time here addressing this item tonight. So I'm gonna start off by showing drone images of the nine properties directly adjacent to the subject site. Uh, these were taken at 8 a.m. on January 26, 2024. Um, this, this time period falls between the middle of the time window that we'll be displaying in future slides, um, which is showing the time frame between 7 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. These photos, um, like I said, were taken January 26, 2024 at 8 a.m. Um, as you can see, the backyards are fully shaded and the shadows are just starting to get off the, um, the, the living area of, uh, of these homes. And just to, to note, um, you can leave it on this slide, Monique, but the existing conditions of the seven-foot wall shadowing from the existing neighbors' homes and shadowing from the existing landscaping all comprise to create that shadowed condition. Uh, this simulation is showing the computer-generated version of what you saw in the previous drone photos in that we're showing shadowing with the current condition. So the modeling that you see here is georeferenced to the GPS coordinates of the project site, which allow our model to accurately calculate the azimuth of the sun. Um, as mentioned, this time frame is showing between 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. in the winter solstice period, which is demonstrating the harshest condition of the year uh, at the, as the angle of the sun is at its lowest position. So here you can see um, on that bottom right photo, um, the yellow dashed line is showing that the shadow is off residential structures by 9.30 a.m. Um, here we're showing the proposed project's impact during that same period, 7 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. during the winter solstice period. As you can see, um, we're matching the current conditions in that we're off residential structures at 9.30 a.m. Um, as Monique had pointed out, you may notice that, the, um, that there are two structures um, showing shade at the back of, of the residence at 9.30 a.m. in this particular model. Um, so this prompted us to conduct, to conduct further analysis, which I'll go over in the next slide. As Monique mentioned, um, those two residents are 932 and 942 East Carlton Avenue. Um, those are the two homes that fell within that slightly shadowed area um, at 930 AM in our previous analysis. So this encouraged us to do further modeling, which allowed us to better break out existing conditions in the model and determine that the proposed project would not create new shading impacts beyond what occurs during the existing conditions, um, as you can see in these images here. This slide's giving an overview of project impacts during spring, summer, and fall months. Again, um, 
these are reflecting the condition at the harshest hour of the day, those morning hours. Uh, as you can see, the proposed project is not shade adjacent residences during these seasons. All right, uh, moving on to landscaping, um, which I touched on when discussing the privacy along the north boundary since um, that's our main focus here. But um, here's a visual of the proposed podocarpus hedge, which would continuously screen the adjacencies and then the little gem magnolia trees between each set of homes. Um, not showing or, or touched on too much in this presentation specifically, but I did want to mention that following the feedback in the last meeting, we reassessed plant placement um, and made adjustments to ensure that we're thoughtfully placing plant species in sun, shade, and really looked at that and made adjustments accordingly. Um, there also, Monique mentioned this, but there were comments um, in the last meeting that there were um, a few trees left out on Catella. So there are two existing tree wells that are currently empty on Catella. Um, so we'll be adding trees there. And then we're proposing one additional tree well um, on Catella Avenue. Also, just want to point out in this perspective, um, it's helpful viewing the relief that's provided with that additional um, up to five feet of, of setback here, um, paired with the window elimination and landscape adjust adjustments. Um, it really all comes together to create a more private and thoughtful edge condition. Okay. Um, I'm gonna be showing a few line of sight studies. This was something that we discussed. Um, committee member Fox brought up just uh, having stronger line of sight which we agree, um, so we're gonna be showing a few here. This one is, a, is a serving as a typical, which is showing the viewing capabilities from the three-story home's rooftop decks. So as you can see, the potential views um, of the existing backyards are obstructed by the newly proposed two-story homes. And this simulation is showing a perspective as though somebody's standing up against the edge of that parapet um, on their deck. So, as you can see, the roof line, it would be somebody standing right up against the wall um, of their rooftop deck there. So the same perspective is displayed on this line of sight study in that it's shown from the vantage point of somebody standing right up against the, um, the parapet of their deck. Um, this is the... This is from um, the vantage point of the, the three-story homes that are falling within that open space. Um, so as you can see, they don't have the two-story home obstructing the view, so we wanted to be really um, conscientious in what type of landscaping we're using to screen there. So you see the podocarpet hedge and the, um, the live oak tree blocking views um, to, those, to those backyards. There's one more. So this perspective is showing how the rooftop deck would naturally live. Um, I do want to point out that the, high, that the highest point of this structure cannot exceed 35 feet. So the rooftop deck isn't um, on top of that 35-foot structure. The parapet actually is concealing the deck. So this is a good perspective to see how that would feel. Um, the, the very top part of the parapet um, cannot exceed 35 feet. So this is as though you were standing on your rooftop deck. You can see um, that we're concealed within the parapet and then um, you know, also looking out you know, in the distance, um, not looking down on those two-story homes as though if, um, the, the previous perspectives were showing as uh, you were standing right up against that parapet. 
Um, so, you know, we love including these rooftop decks. It gives private uh, space inside the homeowner's residence. Um, and as you can see, it, it's a really enjoyable uh, way to, to be outside. So I do want to end the line of sight study here and just thank the committee on behalf of Intercorp for allowing us to speak in, in front of you again and show you the changes that we've been working on. Um, we're so excited for the potential opportunity to bring homes uh, to the city of Orange. And so we hope that you're as pleased as we are with these changes, with these changes um, that will aid in creating an extraordinary community for your future residents here. So um, I'll open it up to any questions. And thank you for having us. Okay, thank you very much for that very thorough presentation. We appreciate that. Um, I think that we will go ahead now and have uh, comments from the public, and then sure. if there are questions when it, after the public section is closed, then we'll, we'll bring them for you. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Uh, so now I'm going to open the uh, public meeting, and we can have uh, speakers... I have only two speakers, so uh, the first is Mr. Steve Fingal, and then David Nelson. So you have three minutes uh, to tell us whatever you want to tell us. Good evening. I have my... Oh, are there more people with cards? Oh, please hand them in. <laughs> uh, hold on, hold up just a moment. Okay, please go ahead. So I'm here to address what I believe is... Uh, a dangerous condition, which are these rooftop decks. And we have San Ana winds, and it's not just patio furniture. It is a blanket. It's a toy. Anything that can be blown off, and so this is blown off into Catella, is going to cause an accident. And God help it, it's not a, a head-on accident. But there is, we are risking the public safety by you approving rooftop decks. And what's the purpose of the rooftop deck? To make the developer more money. They can't have this density without their rooftop decks. And so a profit margin does not justify you risking the public safety of the citizens of Orange. David Nelson. Yes. I don't back up to this project. I'm glad I don't. <laughs> um, this project is going to present more problems and benefits to the city and especially the neighborhood. The design of the project, as we pointed out before, is not agreeable with the surrounding area of basically single-family residential suburban homes. This is an uh, urban development. The shadow issues, when they showed that picture from the patio, they didn't go to the edge and look over the parapet and all the way down, so you didn't get a true shot of what was going on. Uh, I agree uh, with Steve on the patio roofs and the stuff on it. Uh, if you're looking for the homeowners association to enforce such things, good luck. I don't think they're going to be in a position where they can, because it's private property, they do not have police enforcement uh, powers. Um, the parking, I know it's not in your purview, but I want to put it on the record. Two-car garages for 
four-bedroom homes are not going to be adequate. Most of those people have, will have three cars. Some will probably have four. Now, granted, there's on-site parking for those people, but then that only leaves a very limited number of guest spots, and that's not going to be adequate either. The, uh, I wouldn't want that two-story building 10 feet, 15 feet from my back property line. I have a two-story house, but it sits 40 or 50 feet at least from the back property line. So, and it's partially screened by the um, rest of my roof on the first floor. The other thing is the one of the primary access points, ingress and egress to the site, is on Cambridge. Now, right around the corners where Carlton comes out, we already have a sight distance problem for people exiting Carlton right now. These people are going to be a lot closer and more back further uh, out of the view of anybody exiting our street. And they're going to have a problem with all the cars coming around the corner. The traffic on Cambridge has mushroomed quite a bit ever since, you know, I've lived there, which is 50 years plus. And if Tustin Avenue's messed up, Cambridge catches the whole overflow, and it's just almost impossible to get out of there. So for those in mind, I urge you not to uh, endorse this project. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we can hear from uh, David Stoitzel. And after him, uh, Heath Poulter. Good evening. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Intercorp for coming up with some concepts. It's nice to see the community kind of get rid of the AT&T building that is dilapidated. So I do support that something happens. They're bringing a concept to the city, and you guys are working with them. I appreciate it. A couple of comments I have is the rear black wall that's back there now, existing, built in the 60s, does not meet current code. They're going to just keep it there during construction. It could be damaged. Um, so I just want to make sure that you kind of think about that. I know they got rid of the double walls in the one corner because of grades. Uh, as part of the report, there was a study on the fire access. The one that I saw online was when you had the bigger windows, and now that you got smaller windows, there is no access for emergency from the back. It's all from the side. With a six-foot clear between the buildings, I don't believe the fire access is still sufficient. They talked about that they did take care of the trash cans. Code says 25 feet clear on the streets with the trash cans out one day a week. You only have 21 feet. So I guess as long as the emergency only needs to be there on six out of the seven, we're good. Um, the existing uh, okay, the existing grades, the existing grades along the north side, they're about a foot higher on the north side than they are on the ATD site currently. They're looking at raising the grade, so all of a sudden they say we got a seven-foot fence. That's seven-foot on AT&T, six-foot on the KM Carlton side. Now they're raising the site. That wall now becomes six, a little less than six feet on the new site. So something to think about. The 12 homes, uh, well, we've talked about the shading, so they've, they've done a good job in presenting that. Um, the Cambridge patios are set back seven feet from the property line. Gives you a little bit of buffer. The ones along can tell are only two feet. 
That's a prime spot. They're only 40 inches, 42 inches high. Great spot to kind of sit and take a break. Anything that's in those patios will probably be thrown out, as they talked about, onto the street. will be disappeared as people walk down. Option with those roof decks, maybe get rid of the patios because you got ones up top. That'll give us a bigger landscape buffer. And then the last one you talked about, the landscape that they're adding, they got rid of the cypress trees, which is a great idea. Those are just a haven for rats, which we do have that vermin in our neighborhood. So that's a good thing. But you have a 10-foot buffer between the building and the wall. You put a new hedge, all of a sudden your backyard still gets down to 8 feet of usable space. So then you got the trees. you got 10 to 12-foot trees out there. And then 10 foot, it's going to be start hitting, hitting them unless you do a lot of maintenance. So, again, it's a good concept. I look forward to you guys continuing your design. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, next we have uh, Heath Pulzer and after him, Stephen Riefenstein. Hey, good evening. So I'm a resident on Carlton Street. Um, actually come from a family of ranchers. And just wanted to share with you that for every one cow, it takes 1.8 acres for one cow. And so what we're talking about here is putting 49 houses on a plot of land that would not be sufficient enough to raise two cows. And, and I think what we have to consider here is the fact that when you put too much water in a dam, the water goes over the dam. The dam being this development, the overflow being our neighborhood, right? And so there's going to be an excess of traffic. And I'm less concerned about what we've presented here as far as the line of sight. I fortunately am not in the line of sight. Many of my colleagues, many of my neighbors, many of my friends are. Um, it does create an absolute privacy issue. And what I can tell you, if any of you have walked on this street like I do with my kids, in their toys, in their bikes. If you walk from Carlton to the end of the cul-de-sac and around, would any of you care to guess how many houses are on this street? I will spare you the, the, the rhetoric, but it's 39. So in a 0.7 mile loop, there are 39 houses. And we are trying to put 49 houses on a plot of land that is not sufficient to raise two cows. I think it is an absolute density problem, and I agree that there is a shortage of houses, but there has got to be a better solution than to try to cram this many houses into this small of a space. I think it creates a safety issue. I think that some of the things that they have brought to, to, to bear here with the original plan versus what they have come with, I think offers some solution. I think what is inevitable and no plan is going to be able to replace this is this is an absolute density issue for the neighbors that have been here, like Dave and Steve, that have been in this neighborhood for over 50 years. Their kids grew up here. They are watching my kids grow up here. And I think it, it aesthetically, and we're trying to say that this is going to be aesthetically pleasing to Orange, keeping the old town character of Orange, the picture I just saw looks like downtown LA. It doesn't look a thing like orange. So if we're also trying to say that this is going to be aesthetically improvement for Old Town Orange and keeping the character of orange, I half-heartedly have to disagree with that 100%. It does not look like orange one bit. Um, but beyond that, I would just also say that if anyone from Intercorp lived in one of these houses that these things are going to back up, they would be sitting out here 
filling out a green card of opposition. They would not want this. The fact that there's a profit to be made at the expense of the people that this backs up to, that's what this is about. This isn't about anything else other than them coming in, doing this, washing their hands of it, and walking away and not dealing with the Thank consequences. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stephen Riefenstein. Hello. Thank you. Uh, this is my first, I wasn't able to attend the first meeting because I have a family of kids and they take dance in orange and they, uh, they do gymnastics and they support the city. We've been here about 10 years um, and uh, we love it. We have friends that live right across the street from here. And we've always had that orange, we've always loved that orange feel. So I've made my point from living in Westminster as a young adult to moving into orange so I could have the neighborhood that um, I currently live in. <clears throat> now, I'm not on the north adjacent properties, but I am in Carlton, and my front window will just slightly off face these buildings. So the, the line of sight study that was provided today, although it may have been nice for the people directly there, it will see into my yard. I will be able to see people up there, and they'll probably wave and think it's a a great thing that they could but it's a very difficult thing for me to see my kids who ride around as he said um, on their bikes on their scooters there it's a growing population of children there and uh, see having these potential residents see into our neighborhood and watch these kids at all hours knowing their schedules and everything it's just uncomfortable for me um, and, and I don't think it's safe for everyone, anyone, even the adults. Uh, at night, when the, the lights go down and the, light, the lights are on in the house, they'll definitely be able to see into our homes, um, even the north adjacent properties. That's something that I don't believe was addressed. Um, the shade was addressed in the morning, but not the evenings. Um, one of the other big things that I just have a problem with is uh, the bleed over of traffic. I know I have gatherings, and when there's 20 people that want to come to our house, they fill up, but I notify my neighbors. Uh, in this place, this resident, if it, residence, if it comes through, there's no bleed over traffic area, but our street. And one party that's got 15 people, a housewarming party, how many of those are gonna happen? 49? They're gonna have all their friends come over and see their homes. They're gonna bleed over into our neighborhood, but that will be a constant. And as was mentioned many times today, the Cambridge entrance and exit, from Cambridge and Carleton is very difficult already. I have heard of a, a child death many, many years ago that was right there. So they've painted stripes and there's a light, but that is still not adhered to. So when someone's making a right out of this new residence, they, they won't necessarily notice it. Maybe they'll get used to it, but I, don't, I don't, still don't think it's safe. It's just too close. I, I approve of a development that will limit the homes, limit the heights, and, and beautify, but in the manner of that looks like orange, that looks like our neighborhood, maybe slightly modernized, but not the way it is now. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. So that, that is all the cards that I have, all the speakers. So now I'm going to close the public comment section of the meeting, and it will uh, be up to the committee now to ask questions and to provide comments. Uh, so I will start with any committee members that wants to ask questions of either staff or the applicant. Go ahead. 
I have a question for staff. Um, before we start our discussion, um, in our staff report, in our required findings, <clears throat> it does lay out that the Design Review Committee will make a finding that all adopted specific plans, applicable design standards, and their required findings are, are met. Um, and then the staff um, summary following that indicates that the project is neither located in a specific plan area nor an area of the city subject to design standards. But then it closes saying further this residential development project implements the small lot subdivision development standards allowing a small efficient alternative blah blah blah. So I just want to be clear and I don't want to get hung up on semantics but it appears that I'm guessing that we're all sitting here anticipating this project needs to be judged according to those regulations and that they do apply. Through the chair, if I, if I may make a comment on that. Um, the small lot subdivision uh, standards, it, it's part of the municipal code. Right. Um, it's, it's for residential zones, specifically small lot subdivisions. It's not like a, um, a document that would be specific to uh, uh, our Eichler track or the old town right, design right. standards or a specific plan, uh, et cetera. Um, so the intent of what staff means to say is there is no such sub-level plan for the area, but they have to comply with the small lot subdivision ordinance, just like the rest of the municipal code. Great. That was my question. Thank you. I had a question for staff. Um, are the rooftop... Uh, patios being used to satisfy the open space requirement? It, they are used to satisfy the private space requirements. I have a question for Ms. Schwartz. Um, did, so the fire department has reviewed the trash layout plan and that has been approved. I would imagine it wouldn't be here without that. Correct. And so um, there was mention of the code requirement of 24 feet between um, uh, trash cans, but is it actually the 24-foot dry vial that's the code minimum requirement? I, we have a 25-foot wide dry vial, and that, that's the code requirement. Okay, okay. And so the 21-foot clearance is between the trash cans that are actually within the right-of-way, you know, so it pinches it down, and that's acceptable to fire. Fire department did review the plans. Right, thank yes. You. Okay. Following up on the fire department, so uh, I think it was mentioned by one of the residents, the uh, ladder pitch that comes down. Um, I, I saw it on the on the elevate on the plans, but I didn't see the adjacent building there next to it to give it. Is there enough room for a fireman to actually exit the ladder? Yes, I did confirm, um, you know, because they were adding, they were not only moving the uh, egress windows to the sides, um, they were also reducing the setback between the buildings in order to produce a walkway to the park. So I did confirm with fire that they do meet the distance requirements for laddering to the egress windows, yes. From the base to the adjacent, they can come down and safely, yes. I, I assume they would. Thank you. Yeah. 
I have a question for staff. Is the um, gate access to the side yards required? Or can they have access through the garage? To their side yards, front through the garage? Mm-hmm. Like if you're in the garage, if you add a door, you, you can have access to the, that small yard on the side of the house. I'm not aware of a requirement for a gate on the side yard. Uh, just in order to provide access, uh, it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were to store trash cans on the side yard, they would need access also to pull the trash cans out. That's also an option. Got it. Thank you. Any further questions from from the committee? Okay. Uh, I have go questions ahead. for the architect. And oh, yes. Architect. That's yeah. appropriate. Please go ahead. That was already on. Um, I studied the utility plan, uh, the irrigation plan, and the architectural plan. It seems if the sidewalk and the gates to the side yards was eliminated and access was through the garage... This will allow more landscape area. Right now, if you go to the utility plan, there's currently a water line that goes from the from the alleyway to the garage, and that doesn't allow enough room for the shrub that you're proposing. I believe it's uh, CJ. It's uh, a camellia. So with that, you have a drain. I'm assuming you're going to have lateral lines for irrigation. Um, you're going to have this water line. How big is that planting area, and is there enough room to have planting there? Can you look at my plant size here? It's Camellia. 15 gallon. 15 gallon, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, admittedly, it's, it's a tight condition, common to kind of alley-loaded conditions like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we were to remove that sidewalk, and those gates and have access through the garage. Would this allow uh, ample space for a small tree in that area instead? Conceivably, if the sidewalks were removed, yes, you would have additional room that would be landscaped. Perfect. Um, One more question. Over on the north side, the triangle area that's fenced off, is there a reason why turf area or um, an active space was in place there? Seems like it's more shrubs and and uh, maintenance access versus uh, an actual active space. One of our early concepts had a more significant space there, and it was um, requested by uh, some aspect that I can't pull off the top of my head for it to be centralized instead of it to be isolated to a corner. And so that's where the genesis of our central kind of little patio or park, a pocket park came from instead of kind of being at that corner. Got it. On sheet L-4, we can turn to that. It lists that area and others by the AT&T as common open space. Um, when I see this page, I, I assume that's an area where um, the residents and, and neighbors can use, um, but two of those areas are just full of shrubs and non-accessible. Is there an opportunity to make those into turf areas or areas with ground cover where you know, kids, there's going to be kids here, and we just heard about the cul-de-sac and how many kids play in the cul-de-sac, where the kids living here have a place for them to to play and access and have activities within the property. 
I don't believe there is, um, for the reason that we have a pretty stringent minimum space. Well, actually, I'll take that back. The one in the lower right, I would say, is not eligible because of the desire for screening of the parking spaces and the utility easement that exists for remaining equipment. However, the upper left corner that we've been discussing in that triangle area could conceivably have um, some kind of open space. It's going to be small. Got it. Thank you. I'd like to commend the solutions presented with the taller shrubs, uh, this taller uh, plant material, the selection of the trees. One thing, uh, I was just one comment, and I think uh, one of the neighbors made a comment. I wish there were more native in nature versus exotic, but, you know, um, that's, I think the purpose is there for a buffer, and appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And then I have a question for the architect. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Hello. Hey. Um, I think uh, I've kind of, uh, you already know my question. Can the garage support a door and access to the side yards? It, it can. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it can, and we've actually addressed it in some locations before as optional for end units. Um, what's it? We ultimately pulled it off because there was no need for the access directly from the garage. Uh, but it'd be something we could go back and review based on what landscape changes may occur. Definitely. I see opportunity for 10 trees to be placed in that inner center area. And as you approach the, the site, you know, to look at this alleyway and to just see a lot of building with this camellia, you know, 15-gallon shrub that may not be able to sure. grow there uh, would be significant impact. Yeah, and I think it'd just be something we have to review and maybe pick the right location for it. Perfect. Um, as you know, we're kind of tight between the buildings, so you wouldn't yeah. want the tree necessarily pinched between all of those things. Definitely. Um, one more thing. I didn't see, there's no gas to these uh, condos or houses, right? Okay, perfect. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. That's all my questions. Okay. Uh, anyone else have? Yeah, I had a question Please for the architect go. as well. Oh, wait a second. We have one more architectural question. I'm sorry, I was not here during the first meeting. I did listen for three and some hours to the first conversation, so I heard a lot of your answers. I, I, what, what is your name? My name is Michael Stone with Bicini and Lagoni. Mr. Stone, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I had a question about just um, utility meters and, and access meters, and specifically what's in the drive aisle. I was trying to figure out the plans where it was. It may not have been designated yet. Um, where do you anticipate the water meters in the system? But I assume they're in the drive um, in front of the units? They are, and Joy, you might be better to answer that question. Civil, more of a civil question? Yes, civil. Coordination with utilities? Um, mm -hmm. If Joy can come up, I appreciate that. Just. Uh, my name is Joy Hendricks at CMB. Nice to see everyone again. Thanks, Ms. Hendricks. Thank Thanks so much. Um, so this project is uh, master metered uh, with a looped domestic water system. And we have two backflows, one in Cambridge, one on Catella, a main line that loops through the project with individual service laterals to each unit. And the submeter would be located in the garage, which would be out, you know, clear up more landscaping and make it real simple for the HOA to monitor the water use. 
um, no gas services. So there will be some dry utility coordination and we would probably place those in little pocket areas throughout the site to serve each unit. Interesting, and they're all, are, it's all fire sprinkler as well, and there's the right backflow meter kind These of connections. These are uh, technically 13D water systems, so they're individually sprinklered off of the domestic line. And the fire water system on site is just for the private hydrants. Oh. Gotcha, and mm -hmm. that's all in the, so in the garage is where you have all of that, mm -hmm. so it's not a box sitting out in front of the asphalt. Nope. And, yeah, and, it's nice and, and clean, oh, dedicated beautiful. sewer lateral for each, pro each unit too, so. Um, it's a real clean product. Thank you. No, that's that's really important. And electrical, the when you walk up, is there anything on the facade there that would? Um... Usually, in our duplex projects, they are um, both panels are wall mounted on one side of the building, okay. and um, they serve each unit. And so, um, it just kind of depends on which side of the building you are. The single uh, unit uh, or the singular units would have their own panel. Gotcha. And those would be at the entry areas? I think they would be on the garage side, closer to the drive aisle. Okay. Um, I have questions about deck drainage. Is it the architect? I apologize. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. I'll stay close by. <laughs> Thank you. So just on the facade, that you have uh, drains coming from the decks, and they just basically terminate at the facade. Is, 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 are your plans not complete yet? Have you not put you know, your gutter systems in place? Because right the water would just sheet flow yeah, down the no, side they'll, of the No, there'll be downspouts. Okay. Um, so those will be added. We'll also have some gutters on the sloped roofs that'll take it to certain take locations. Take the water and control we, that. We just haven't got to that step in the gotcha. process. It certainly but. is ugly when you don't have that. Yeah. Um, and then on the, the caps, the parapet caps, um, is there a, a metal cap around the top of Cor the occupied spaces? Cor correct. So in all the renderings, it looks like a beautiful finished plaster wall, but you have a you have a metal cap there. Yeah, if, if you actually look real close, you'll see there's a little two-inch trim line um, on the, the top there. Uh, that'll be covered. And then it's going to get either painted, um, I think we painted to match the stucco surrounding, so it'll kind of disappear from view. Galvanized painted. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, you, at the top of your elevation facades, you have this kind of mold strip piece, I'll call it just a, a borderline. Yeah, more of an accent trim it's, piece. It's not a cornice, but you have just kind of a line at the top. Yep. And I know in some cases you have that, and that, of course, does that integrate the, the metal cap itself, or is it just simply a piece and the metal cap sits it, on top? No, the metal cap would be integrated to it, so it, it creates more of a little bit of a substantial trim profile, and that's why you see the accent color. So we're, we're just trying to create a little bit of a different look between each of the Yeah, you have a shadow line there. What, why wouldn't you do it on the others, even with the monochromatic colors, and kind of do that to give it a little bit of separation on that metal trim at that part? It just, as the buildings age, they kind of, that edge seems to get... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we easily could and be something we could review going forward. Um, I have noticed a lot of times when you do have that smaller trim line, yep. if it is painted as a color, you kind of see it and it starts to get chipped and painted around. Or um, depending upon the masking of the elevation, painted it to match the surrounding piece, then it kind of disappears and it becomes a clean line across the top of the roof. So just two different approaches. Gotcha. Um, I was going to have a couple of questions about HOA. Is that Would you be the appropriate person to ask general SUA questions or would be another member of your team? Uh, Emily, my, or Rick, you want to? Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Rick Puffer, Vice President of Development, Intercorp Homes. Thank you. Um, so looking at how the maintenance plan is, it, it, it shows on the plan the maintenance issue, and there's no maintenance plan, obviously, for the private yards. I get that. 
But we had been talking about, and I listened to because I was not here, but I listened to the recording. There was some dialogue about maintaining uh, the trees in the private spaces. Now you have the protocarpus. Um, and I had a couple of questions about that. I think protocarpus is a great choice. Um, it, it does a lot of good things in the right way that you, you intend. I think that's a good choice. I'm not an expert on that on landscape issues as much. Um, how, how in your HOAs and, and the CCNRs, how would it be defined that 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 hedge is controlled by the CC is controlled by the HOA? Um, it's 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 not shown on the shade and shadow. So that as that grows, it would you know be a shade and shadow relationship to the neighbors, which they're concerned about. So there's not a height. There should be a height. You know, it should grow, and there should be some management about its height, mm-hmm. uh, how it's maintained and watered. Um, and on the maintenance plan, there's no doesn't look like there's any idea or outlets that the HOA is going to water those. So that would be the individuals. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, you, bring up, you bring up a great question. And with this, typically for the private yard, it'd be governed within the CCNRs. Right. The CCNRs would be the, the document the city would review, would determine the height and the maintenance schedule. So um, the HOA would enforce that, make sure it's handled in compliance with the CCNRs that are drawn up with the city. And the CCNRs, the HOA has the enforcement mechanism to enforce watering and maintaining of those because there's going to be a relationship between the private owner and the HOA, like other things in HOA buildings, that you have that relationship, that there's always a gap. Um, but for this issue, with the screening and the views being such a sensitive issue to the public, mm-hmm. um, I'm just challenging you in understanding better what mechanism in the CCNRs can be identified you know, to maintain that control and maintain that it's not an aesthetic issue. It really is a functional issue of making the north side of that privacy work for the residents. Um, any other advice you can counsel you can give us other than us saying we'd like more? No, I, I think it's a great point uh, between how it's written up in the CCNRs, which will be reviewed by the city, also the ins- inspection enforcement by the HOA, right. which happens on a bi-monthly basis. So that also be looked at as well. So they do maintain um, enforceability, right? They can go as far as, far as filing um, an assessment, like a penalty fee, or as far as filing a lien. And we do sit on the HOA boards so we can make sure the neighborhood is trained on how to handle these issues. Well, whatever CCNRs are written, and how it is, I would like to make sure it's very clear that you have uh, language about the maintaining of these trees, for the health and safety and maturity and control so they don't keep dying and you have to keep redoing them and you have gaps and you know just how that is for people who are trying to see this as a functional aspect of this building and this not this building this project number two a height limit so mm-hmm. it does these protocarpuses depending on what you get they could get out of hand vertically and create a shade issue so the ccrs have to be very defined along this object i just want to make sure it's made very clear that as a condition and i think this is a approvable project i think there's a solutions we can make this certainly is a a part of that that I think is important for us to protect the neighbors from. I appreciate your commentary. I think you are um, you are correct in terms of that assessment. Just wanted to add too that when we put trees in a private yard, we also irrigate them, so it'll be on the homeowner system at the day that they purchase the home. I do have to say that I listened, like I said, I listened to the, re- the recordings of everybody's comments, and I really appreciate the changes you made to the plans in the north facing windows. I think you've done a, a, an excellent job of addressing things and setting the building back. Um, so I'm really, I want to thank you for all the work you guys have done to move this project in the right direction. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
Okay. Oh, I, go go ahead, do more. I have a, a couple lands. Well, I have one landscape question and one that's part comment, part question, and it, we'll start with that one first. Um, in terms of the podocarpus. Um, I think what's being alluded to here is there's there's a little bit of a needle that has to be threaded here, right? That part of the contingency to mitigate this is based on the height of this hedge. At the same time, there are high line, there, there's an electrical easement there that's going to prohibit them from getting within more than 10 feet to that line. So... Um, if so much hinges on that, it seems that there needs to be some definition given to that. Um, do they get? Do they ever get trimmed at seven feet high, and then they grow back to twelve feet, and then they get trimmed back to seven feet? So it might sound a little absurd to have to monitor that that much, but this is kind of the solution that's been brought to us, and and so much hinges on it that I think it's important that we talk about how that gets defined. But specifically, the question that I have is for the oak tree that's in the common area. Um, what do you anticipate? I presume that you're aware of the condition, standard condition that the city uses, that trees are to retain their full canopy height for screening and full canopy width breadth for shade at the point of maturity. What do you anticipate the height and the breadth to be on this oak? Not at full maturity. This would be a tree that has some maintenance applied to it so that it's living within its confines. So it would probably be in the 25 by 30, you know, range is my guess. Okay, but there's a condition here that actually prevents that. Oh, you're referencing the power easement? A standard condition of approval that the city, and you're not aware of it, that's okay, is that we don't plant large trees and then keep them a third of the size they're supposed to be. Um, the reason I bring this up is that exactly where you went with this, that this tree wants to be much larger than what's going to accommodate because it appears to me it's about five feet from the property line. So in order to, I, I'm not sure that this tree is the right choice considering this condition that it grows wide, but it's not allowed to grow, you know. And then also in height, you've got those wires there. So I'm not sure that that tree is going to, in its location, is going to meet that requirement of the condition that's being placed on the project. Did you consider ever moving that tree forward? Or perhaps two trees where you have two different sides there? It, yeah, it's something to be thought about. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk probably about the sectional views before we're done here tonight, and that comes into play with that. So, wanted to throw that out there that I, I'm not certain that this tree is the right choice considering the standard condition versus, uh, regarding trees that typically go with projects. Okay, so. thanks for bringing that to my attention. Okay, I, I actually have a question that um, I just would like to know what your response is to the um, to the public concern about the umbrellas and or we're not going to have umbrellas but whatever's on the roof decks I know that you've done these roof decks before how do you handle it how how 
Does it work, Rick? Yes, thank you. Thank you, yes, Rick Puffer. So the question being how do we handle um, what's placed on the rooftop deck and uh, conditions where something may come off the rooftop deck. So first of all, for any furnishings up there, um, it was explained that anything that's above there would be limited to uh, five feet in, in circumference, right? I guess in, in diameter, that is. But it would be something that can be removed. So when they're not out there utilizing the rooftop deck, that it actually be removed and not be um, left there in its, its state just remaining up in the air. Um, for any furnishings, we do require that it's a piece that's a monolithic piece so that if there's cushions, other things, they're not blowing around, that is one attached piece held together. So um, those are the items in that nothing in the structure in that area is above the parapet height. With that, um, we've had success. We've done several rooftop decks. Um, they do, when they monitor the community, do enforce that. So those are the items that get explained in the CCNRs and enforced by the HOA on their monitoring of the community. So when the winds blow, you have not experienced issues in your other properties? Due to the way the CCNRs have been written and when homeowners comply with that, we have not experienced issues. Um, we've delivered three communities with um, with full rooftop decks on them in the last uh, three years. Okay. Well, thank you for that information. Yep. Any, please, Mr. I, I've got a question for Rick. If, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry to have you uh, come back up, but it's it uh, ties back into the screening issue um, and works kind of in tandem with the protocarpus. Uh, there was a public comment earlier regarding um, the existing block wall that's going to remain. Um, and with that, the great changes in elevation. So um, uh, east to west, um, do we have a better understanding of how that's going to affect the existing block wall? It's on one side. Obviously, it will be much shorter. Um, so, you know, in, in the interim, when the uh, protocarpus do mature, um, this block wall is going to be pretty visible. I know these are 24-inch protocarpus, but, um, and I know it's a fast-growing tree, but... Um, and also, it could be a safety concern as well to have a low block wall. So um, has there any been any study on that, or what, how do we? Yeah, no, uh, sorry, Commissioner Ledesma. I, I do want to refer to our group because I think the, the comment about grade being raised, we're trying everything to maintain the grade as it is today. Okay. And so when we looked at the existing wall, um, it's, it's very well built. It was actually built by... Um, this property owner um, that has been on the site. And so with that wall being intact, we would instruct it, would inspect it structurally to make sure it will perform. We do not have any intent to surcharge that wall by our grade. Um, civil engineer can confirm that. But um, when we plant the podocarpus up to that, we use a root barrier system. And uh, we want to make sure that the height of the wall is at a respectable level now so that any buffering that come above that wall be through the podocarpus. But that experience and height of that wall would be the same as it is today for the homeowner with the extension thereof coming from the podocarpus line. So that's our intent. Um, 
I did want to ask about grade just to be, be sure from our civil engineer. So um, I appreciate the comment from the public and um, our conceptual grading plan. Um, I don't know if you want to go to it. Sheet, um, sorry, sheet three of the tentative map. The finished floor elevations on the tentative map have been set for the building. And since these are all single family type developments, the intent is when you step out of your, um, into your backyard or out of your front door, you're gonna take a step out of the riser and you might have a step or two down into your um, front door or into your backyard. So that pushes the grade in the backyard further down, matching it to the existing grade. We also wanna give ourselves an opportunity to include a drainage swale. Um, we have nice landscaping. Sorry, can you just speak into the mic a little bit oh. more? I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Thank Sorry you. Sorry about that. I'm that's not okay. feeling well, no, so no, I have a mask okay. on. Just so. a little closer. Um, so, like I said, I'll just repeat myself. The finished floors will go ahead and allow a step or two outside of the building onto the backyard or into the front door. Um, that's a typical condition you see in single-family type de developments. Um, we also will be incorporating a drainage swill in the rear yards and area drain system to pick up the drainage, and um, that allows us to match the grays along the northerly property line. So um, I'm not sure if there's any more additional questions regarding the grading that you may have. I have no, a, thank you. I think you answered. I have okay. a question. Mm -hmm. um, on Section E, you still show double walls. Are you, are we, I'm still confused. Are we doing double walls or are we not doing double walls? I notice on G, comparing the previous plan, you removed that wall and increased the height of the elevation. Yeah. But E still have double walls. No. Oh, that's because an existing double wall condition uh, is oh. it's two existing walls. So we're just keeping the on site wall. Got it. Thank you. You startled me. I was like, wait a minute. I swear I looked at this. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm glad I clarified that. Okay. Oh, go ahead. A few more questions. I'm not sure who to direct it to, but if we could talk about the shading just so the committee's clear on that. Um, yeah, the, the building shading. Um, so if I understood correctly, the, a study was done that shows, uh, that took into account the existing shading. A study was done to take into account the, what the project would, um, cause. And that the, all but two of the houses have shading on them less than two hours, which is, I believe, the kind of the threshold on that. Correct, yeah. But do I understand that the other two houses, it does occur more than two hours, is that correct? It does, um, but just to emphasize, it's um, it's gonna match the, exi the existing condition that, they, um, that they're under. So that's why we did a breakout model for those two residences, um, just can to we, ensure. Can we go to that? It's, um, it's in the slide deck. From mine, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the um, question I raise is, no, people, oh, yeah. okay. and I want to make sure that I'm clear on this, 
the <clears throat> the current property the owner there yeah so it's these two tails on these houses that do have shade on them longer than two hours is correct. that correct and those are um if you I don't know if you can zoom in, Monique. Um, it also is in uh, one of the attachments that staff had, had provided um, in a separate kind of summary of um, the shadow analysis of the project. Yeah, right. So this is um, showing the, the shadows that are on those two, those two residences um, caused by either the neighboring home or from existing landscaping. Um, so we wanted to study these two in particular um, just to ensure that it wasn't being caused from the proposed two-story structures. Okay. Again, just to be clear, the trees that are causing the shading, those two circles that you have there, are from the existing elm trees on the subject property, not on the homeowner's property. Is that correct? Uh, it's, it's a combination of both. So we do have the three um, or four elms that are casting shadow, but the three that are specifically casting shadow on the two residences. Mm -hmm. And then you can see um, the more uh, west-facing property has that line of uh, cypress trees that are very mature, and they cast the shadow on their home and then um, a little bit on the neighboring property. The neighboring property has two mature trees that cast shadows, and um, their, their condition is a combination of the trees on their property, our, um, the existing elm tree on the subject property, and also uh, shade coming from the neighboring um, property. Okay. The elm trees, uh, the, I'm sorry, the cypress, though, should not be causing shadows on that house between 7 and 9.30 in the morning, correct? Because they're... Uh, correct. Okay. Yeah. And then the... I guess the bigger question I have is, did the study take into account that elms are deciduous trees and don't have leaves in the winter during the worst, you know, worst shade condition? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure um, if I can defer to Philip how he models that in or can take that into consideration. Uh, there is a depiction of a in-leaf um, elm tree used here. Um, I don't know how to poke a bunch of holes in it in the computer. To no, no, that's not my point. My point is the argument's being made that this project will not cause shade in December that doesn't currently exist in December because of the existing elm trees. But the question I'm asking is, did that consideration, was there consideration given that the elm trees don't have leaves in the winter and create oh, shade? I mean, they're partially deciduous in the winter, yeah. So... Well, isn't there a photo for a recent we photo? Had, yeah. yeah, the drone photos also maybe add additional. Yeah, what color. time of year were those? That'd be was, helpful for us to understand. It was that wasn't January that January? Right. But they don't show the elm trees. It just shows the, the shadowing. Um, it's the third photo in, I believe. Like there's some. So you can see the shadow um, kind of in the, the bottom right corner. I mean, it's all shaded, but um, assuming that's coming from the, the elm. I'm sorry, one more time. Which image are we looking at and what is it that you're saying? The, the, uh, the, if you look at the top right. row, uh, the right. photo in, right. that's the, the subject home that you're speaking of. Okay, and at 8 a.m. it appears to me that the, the sun is virtually on, 
covering most all of the rear facade. Correct. And what does your study show the new development would cause there? The tree would be removed. Honey, would you mind going? Thank you. No, let's look at that. If, if you go to the previous sheet, um, that's the, if you go to the um, bottom left, that's the condition at 8.30 a.m. during the, the winter solstice. And that's the wall height, right? Not the hedge height, right? Correct. Wall height. Could we zoom in a bit there? Uh, let's go over to the right. At 9.30, the shade is still on the back of those homes? The, the two that we broke out in that additional model, yes. Okay. Well, I'm just concerned that this conflicts with the photos that you provided that shows at 8 a.m. there is sun on the rear of those homes. Would you mind going back to the photos, Monique? Thank you. It's a one-month difference, right? What? This, this is January, right? Yeah. It's a one-month difference. Oh, this one is January. Difference. Okay. Correct. And it is, um, I mean, the... The sun is on the uh, on the easterly side of of the roof, um, you know, com coming off, um, but it is still shaded, as you can see, on the westerly portion of the roof. Yeah, I'm talking about the rear facade of the house. Is what I'm talking about. All I'm getting at is that we're we're being given justification that these homes are shaded already in the winter at this mm -hmm. time, but I'm not sure that's the case when the trees are deciduous. Well, the, I mean, and I'm the, not sure that the, the photos trees still do have uh, somewhat of a canopy. Um, they are partially deciduous trees, but um, they aren't fully deciduous. I mean, if you go out to the site, they still have you know, branches. They branches. branches, right? They, they hold branches. on to their branches. They still, yes. they still have uh, they still have leaves on them, but okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I have a question for you before you have a seat on sheet L two. If we can go to that sheet, sorry, making you jump back and forth. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I couldn't do what you're doing. Plan gymnastics. <laughs> um, simply, and count, I'm going to the parking. Um, and the parking, there's, the site seems to be um, heavily built, and the landscape is kind of secondary. And what really suffers now that you added the transformers, you know, now the mailbox is going to be three of them, uh, the lighting, um, the landscape is just really tight. And, and for my, I just did a quick analysis for myself. If we were to remove one unit, that would really allow three spaces plus the little place of the house. So it's totally a five spaces. Was there any consideration to 
to limit just one more unit and kind of let the landscape breathe a little bit. For instance, I want you to look at uh, House 23, House 6, House 7, House 13, and House 34, where you have this little landscape, and some of it is not even possible, that the doors are just going to slam into the side of the house. And and it just doesn't allow enough space for landscape to live and, and create an impact. Sure. Um, are you referring to the homes that are, um, when you say doors slamming into the side of the home, the, adjacent the to a parking stall? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I do want to mention, not that it's going to um, help landscaping in, in this topic, but mm-hmm. the parking stalls that are directly adjacent to a home are an additional foot. So those are 10-foot stalls. Um, and then to your point, um, Thank you for asking the question about unit count. Um, just to remind where we started uh, almost two years ago at this point, we did start off with 54 units, um, and that was actually the least dense plan that we were putting forth uh, to staff. So as we were assessing the site plan and the product type that would be most appropriate for this adjacency, since we have the single-story um, neighbors directly north of us, um, we did massage this plan a lot and end up submitting with our formal application a 54-unit plan. Um, so from that time and adopting the small lot ordinance, um, we are at 49 units, which is what you see before you. So um, I appreciate the comment, but we're, we're five units down, Jericho. So <laughs> Thank you. I have to try. Yeah, I, know. Thank you. I appreciate well, it. Thank I you. can pretty much guarantee that 54 units probably would no way have been approvable right. from based on our concerns that we have with no, how abso- much bulk and mass and, is on the you know, site. We, we've been working closely with staff and, and getting this to the point that um, you know we're putting it in front of you today and um, feel really confident and, and good about what um, you see before you. And of course, there's still things that we can you know, be happy to discuss regarding transformer placement, uh, landscaping opportunities. I mean, those are all things that we welcome, and it's, um, you know, the main reason why we like to have break-off meetings with the committee members or the community, because you have ideas that, um, you know, we can we can possibly implement, so. Thanks. Okay. And you have so I do have more? a question, and I think it's um, for whoever did the, the line of site studies, I think it's on your landscape plans. Is that mm-hmm. a landscaper? Um, what height was the podocarpus uh, hedge uh, used? What height of hedge was used in those view studies, the ones that start on page L11? It looks like it's at about nine feet, about a couple feet above the adjacent block wall. Okay. And I have another question, too. Your landscape plan does not indicate podocarpus going all the way across. It indicates another plant material um, that, as far as I could read, looked like it was bay laurels across the very back of the um, pocket park. Mm -hmm. But is your intention that it would be podocarpus all the way across in the same height? Or I was wondering if maybe the bay laurels were supposed to be taller, since you do need taller screening from your third floor so the podocarpus are ideally suited for the kind of partial shade conditions that they're in adjacent to the house and what we like about the bay laurels is they can um, be in the the full sun condition up against a baking hot wall and still provide some verticality that we need um, and really just break up the the podocarpus are getting boring to me. Oh, it's, it's fine. I, I just everybody keeps talking about this continuous podocarpus hedge and it's actually oh. not. It's a Podocarpus hedge 
interrupted by a bay laurel hedge. Correct. So that's the accurate. Yep. And how high would the bay laurel hedge, how high did you have that in your, in this study when you did section that went right through um, the pocket park? I think I, Commissioner Fox, I think I used the same sort of green hedgy. Sort of nine foot yeah, correct. hedge. Okay. Right. All right. Thank you. No problem. One thing that may help just to consider the Porta Carpus as main leader. Once you reach the desired height, you can cut the main leader and now it will grow wide. And that could be trained. Porta Carpus could oh, yeah. be sheared and butchered as, yeah, yeah. as you like. Um, yeah. No, they're great. It's just, it was an inconsistency in their presentation. I was just trying to get the straight story. No problem. And I didn't know if it was taller behind the pocket park because. Um, the view studies imply that there's something. Anyway, I'll get into that in discussion. So that was just, I just need clarification. Yeah, I think the podocarpus is a great solution. Okay. Well, if we're done with questions, if uh, we'd like to move on to some commentary, who would like to start? Well, I don't mind starting. But why don't you go ahead? Okay. Did you want to start? Um, okay, well, I do appreciate that some of the items that we asked you to consider changing that you actually um, did change them and you pulled the house back um, two feet wasn't really what I was hoping for but part of it is five foot back and part of it is two feet back um, and changing the windows and making them higher that's absolutely we see that all the time most people do that right out the bat you know on these kind of you know view encroachment sort of issues. So I think that's like a minimal acceptable um, solution for that. Um, I was surprised that there were quite a few comments that were dealing with the bulk and mass and just the amount of um, cubic volume of building that's in this space. And we had lots of comments about that. I don't think that's been addressed at all. I think you took off 1,100 square feet of the total project of 111 thousand square feet so it was like a one percent reduction in square footage but we'd also I had suggested you'd consider plate heights as well because that's also contributes to bulk and those were unchanged so I feel like this is the minimum amount to maybe appease a few of us up here <laughs> to get through and I just I've, I've kind of um, disappointed by that uh, minimum amount because a lot of our other comments were dealing with the boxiness of the experience within the space and the, um, just the sheer magnitude of the heights of these walls that are going to create these tunnels where very few plants will probably thrive. Um, they might get to grow if you're really good to them, but they're not going to thrive, I, I don't think, in, in quite a few of these areas. So I just... I, um, I think the bulk and mass issue has not been um, adequately addressed, and I'm going to, um, uh, th that's a pretty serious issue for me. Um, another one of my big serious issues was to do those view studies, and I appreciate that you did them, um, and I, um, and the shade and, and all of that, you know, analysis, I do, have concerns that um, my colleague, Mr. Bowden, was commenting on the, the the conditions of the context have not been. I don't think 
ever considered in this project design um, and in your solution for the back end, you're still not responding to the differences in context that's even just along the back wall and that there's a different problem at one end of the site than there is at the other end of the site. Um, it, it just it just seems, um, again, I think it's just lacking that that sensitivity to what we'd asked you to do and what this what the um, small lot subdivision guidelines want you to respond to context. And I'm feeling like we forced a, a bit of response to context here, but it's still not very nuanced. And and I, I think that could have been done better. Um, specifically on the view corridor um, studies that you did, um, the one where the pocket park is, okay, so first of all, most of them I think are addressed as far as second story view encroachment from the units that are directly adjacent to the north property line because the windows are higher and, you know, so there's people and you're diffusing the glass. I mean, there's nobody looking out of those windows. So I, I think that that view encroachment has been handled. Um, the screening, the podocarpus screen will um, help to soften that too. Um, and the placement of the now the magnolia trees are in between the units so that the the units, the three-story units across the alley aren't looking between the buildings at anything because those are taller trees. So I think I think that is handled. But it's quite clear that the um, the third story um, the the third story and the roof deck views that are gonna go um, over the pocket park are, I don't think they're effective. If you only have a, a nine foot podocarpus, or, or I'm sorry, bay laurel hedge, and a large tree, um, I, was, I was listening to the answer to the question about the large tree in the middle of the pocket park, that you know, it'd be great if it was a large tree to help you with this screening, if, but you're gonna contain it to, we also don't want it to get so large to shade the property. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of a delicate balance. The placement of that tree, if it was a little bit closer to the, to the three-story units, it would provide better um, screening and it would also not shade as much the neighbors. So that was not addressed. And then when you said that, when the landscape architect said that, that you would control that canopy to 25 feet, well, you've got a 58 foot seven inch wide pocket park. So if that tree is what's being used to screen the views as you look down from the roof deck, but it's only at most maybe half, but more likely a third of, of the width of the park, you know, at the top, because it's not, it's not like a cube <laughs> that's that tall. I, I, it's just, um, I'm, not, I'm not following that this is providing the privacy. So, so I don't think the pocket park screening, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm following your, all your lines of sight and it looks like you're seeing directly into that yard because in fact, that podocarpus hedge is only nine feet high. So yeah, you're seeing directly in um, to the yards that are adjacent to the, po the pocket park. So um, I don't think that the, the design of those 
three-story units across from the pocket park are complying with what you need to have for privacy for our, to meet our ordinance. Um, and um, yeah, so, so, so that part is, is um, I think, still needs work. I also encourage that if you had fewer units, you would have more space for the landscaping that you're, you're hoping thrives in this space. And I, I don't, I just am not seeing how that could work. Um, so, so those are concerns and the shadowing on the um, houses to the west of your, of your um, proposed development I think are still a concern to me. Um, the shade and shadow studies aren't convincing me that there's uh, compliance with the requirement. So those those things are are um, issues for me. The more I hear talk about these roof deck and the kind of HOA controls, like your own your own graphics show roof furniture with lots of cushions. Everyone knows that people are going to bring cushions up there if they want. You know, decorative pillows and things. Um, so this thing of saying that you're going to require the furniture—I mean, there's going to be limits on the kind of furniture people can put up there. It's just hard to imagine um, how that's enforced. And and if you were to enforce that, you probably shouldn't have marketing graphics that show otherwise. But but it is a um, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I just. I just think you're asking a lot of the site. <laughs> so I can't support the project as submitted. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I'm kind of glad you finished up. Well, let me first of all say that I agree that everything that committee member Fox has said, and while we're on the issue of sight line studies, thank you so much for preparing these for us. Uh, in a lot of ways, it, I think, demonstrates what I had suspected, that in most cases the uh, roof decks will not have excessive vis visibility into those rear yards. That being said, I have to point out, Section A is completely incorrect. There is no rooftop deck at Section A the way it's been drawn. In fact, there's also no rooftop deck at Section B. Section C um, is very helpful. Um, and I guess part of the problem of not knowing where these views are from is that we're not shown the source of the view. Because like with Section C, I think there's actually three different roof decks, if not four, that would have visibility through that pocket park. Then I also wanted to point out, um, because I, I drew my own lines, you know, where your study, the blue ends here, it's actually way down here. On some of the others, well, the view that you're showing, it's actually half of what's viewable. Um, because the way the drawing is made, the view stops because of the building that's there. But if you look at the actual section lines that you've made, there is no building there. It's between the buildings. So do, does that six feet of view concern me? Not a whole lot. 
Um, but I just want to point out that sometimes these graphics don't always um, convince us that this is what's really going on. When I look at, at this image that you've provided, this is a four-foot wall, correct? Just nod your head if it is. This furniture would be like 18 inches tall against that wall. So um, they're helpful. They're, they are helpful, but they don't always tell the full story. Um, Can I just... Yeah, um, go ahead. I, I was looking at what you were looking at as well. Between the buildings, they do have the the magnolias, the little gems. So those are supposed to grow taller is what I'm understanding. Right. So, But my point yeah. is the view is not cut off by the building because you're looking between the buildings. Right. Right. And if we can get the little gem to grow in, in this tiny spot. little shady spot, then you're correct. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but I will say that that gives me less concern and it does help to, to alleviate some of the concern that I had, even though there's a, a let's say more of them are incorrect than are correct. Um, I want to reiterate the comment that's been made already. I'm not accepting of the justification that these trees are causing shade because even in the photos that's been provided, um, that doesn't appear to be the case. Um, so I think the project still falls short of meeting the requirements there. Um, there's been a lot of talk about roof decks and how that's going to get taken care of with CCNRs and there's been, I think there's been way too much talk about roof decks. It, it really illustrates the point and I'll be honest, when I had my briefing, that was one of the first questions I asked is are there going to be limitations because we're at maximum height now? How are these homeowners going to use these decks with no shade whatsoever. It's just going to be a hot, dismal place. And does one property owner put up an easy up from, you know, big lots, and then the next person puts up a pergolo from Costco, and the next person has sun sails, and then some people have string lights, and some people don't. And what does that start to do to this upper balcony that really is not that far away from these homes. They're going to see this. So that was one of my questions. Is it going to be limited? Is a rooftop deck with no shading even viable? I, I don't know, but it's, it's by design. So I think we're spending a lot of time talking about something that probably should have been designed as a way that we wouldn't have to be talking about it. Um, I'm still, I have concern about this hedge that, again, it's threading a needle, right? It's got to be tall enough to help mitigate the bulk and mass of these buildings, but it can't get too tall because that'll cause more additional shade on their gardens and, and homes next door and so forth. But then also it can't get too tall to mitigate anything because of the power lines that are above. So... Again, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of an untenable situation, I think, that, again, is caused by the design. Um, I will agree that the privacy is better. However, I think that the rear facades with only these... I, th I think the rear facades had much better 
articulation and diversity with the old windows that don't meet our, our, our requirements for privacy. So again, we're in a catch-22 there. When I look at the rear elevation now that you've provided, and I really am glad that you provided that, I see just a homogenous, continuous row of these tiny windows, the roof line all the same, the hedge all the same. There's a little bit of facade break. A little bit, a little bit of facade break, but I'm going to call, I'm going to say it's a little bit of facade break. Um, Actually, we have a perspective, yeah. When I look at this, I don't see much diversity. I don't see much articulation. Uh, it's pretty basic uh, box with some holes punched in it. And I think what's important to keep in mind is that these are on such narrow footprints. When the neighbors view this from their properties, they see four or five of them at a time. It's not like there's just one behind them. This is what they're going to see. So. Um, I have some concerns about that, and I'll, I'll go back to the uh, guidelines when I finish here. Um, I think the live oak, as I talked about before, it's not doing its job. Um, I think that that needs to be dealt with for the reasons that we already discussed. Um, Just want to make sure I'm getting everything here. I know we spent a lot of time talking about trash. Again, this is, I think, one of those things we spent way too much time talking about. If I understand correctly, the minimum street width is 25. We're going to cut that down to 21 on trash days. I'm not sure where that falls, um, and I'm not sure that's our purview. But uh, what I still see are trash cans that are being placed on other people's property in front of the access gate to their house, I think that's going to become an aesthetic issue when everyone starts pushing everyone's trash cans out of their way to use their own property. Certainly, whoever parks in the guest parking spot and has the trash can put behind their car will need to move that out into the street. So. I think you've still got all kinds of trash problems. I don't know how you deal with big item, bulky item pickup. I don't know where you put your Christmas tree during holiday season. I think these are going to become real aesthetic issues. But again, I think we've spent too much time talking about something that was created by design. Um, So to get more to the heart of the matter, What I see the small lot subdivision guidelines, because it's repeated throughout, is the importance of contextuality. And that as these new developments come forward, they fit within the existing context. And I think that this is an important project, being the first one, because it will determine what we accept and what we don't accept with these types of projects. Um, And let me just say, I don't care whether you have, you know, 49 units on here or 149 units. It needs to be designed so that it's compatible. So um, numbers alone to me don't mean anything. But when I look at the existing pattern at the north side, I'm not concerned about Catella at all. What I'm concerned about is where this interfaces with these single-family homes behind that the setbacks that exist there, um, they're they're a little bit all over the place, but they average out 
at 35 feet. Uh, no, I'm sorry, they average at 37 feet. Now, I realize at the far right here, the, the western side, we've got one that's 80 feet. Then we also have one that's 8 foot 6. So if we toss those two out, we're still at 35 feet. So that's the existing average setback. Uh, my understanding is that the zoning would only allow these buildings at most today to come to 22 feet of that back wall. They also have five-foot side yard setbacks, which keeps at least a minimum of 10 feet between the two buildings. When we look at the setback for the new development, we're at 10 feet, a third of the average of what's behind you. Uh, we also have lot widths, which of course are very, very narrow, and I understand that's part of small lot subdivision, but again, it's by design, how you design these buildings to relate with what's next door. Uh, we have a little over six feet of separation between these buildings, where across this, over the other side of the wall, it's 10 feet, so it's almost twice the separation. So I'm not sure that just from the very basic plan perspective that this is really compatible. Um, could it be more dense? Absolutely. Could it be 75% of what's next door? Could it be 65%? But these are at, at a half and a third, so that, that gives me concern. Um, as I mentioned, the building articulation, as we see here, to me, it has actually gotten worse, although you have solved the visual um, you know, sight lines into the neighbor's property, I think that the articulation has really been lost. Um, the landscaping back there, as I said, is going to be a problem. But I want to go through um, a few items that I've pulled out of the guidelines that I think are really important to us to keep in mind here. Um, because at the end of this meeting, we all have to make a finding that this complies with this, if I understand correctly. So one of them is that the, the new subdivision should respect adjacent buildings by responding to their scale, massing, and need for light, natural ventilation, and views. I'm not sure if this project is responding or imposing those. Um, should follow the established size, shape, form, of the surrounding neighborhood through use of similar proportions and details. To me, there's no question that's not happening here. Uh, they should be similar in scale and have similar forms and shapes to the nearby surrounding buildings to avoid the appearance of being overwhelming or disproportionate in comparison to maintain existing massing patterns. So the buildings are twice as big, two to three times as close to the property line. Um, Variation in building massing and placement. Yeah, we, we came back a little bit. I appreciate that. But um, I'm still not seeing that that pullback is enough um, to, to really add that relief. And I think that the, the failure to really add any architectural detail on here isn't helping you either. Particularly important, small lot homes shall be unique in design so that there is variety between the dwellings within the subdivision. When I look at this, I, I don't think this comes anywhere close to meeting that requirement. 
Uh, a really big one, provide pedestrian pathways from the public street or right-of-way to all primary entries and common areas such as common open space areas. But the way I see it, all of the homes 1 through 12, there are no sidewalks. There are no, there's no pathway. It's just you step out of your house onto the street. So I'm not certain how that requirement's being met either. Um, again, small lot homes that front an alley shall orient the primary entryway and shall be connected with a pedestrian pathway. It, there's, there's numerous kind of reiterations of that thought that don't seem to appear here. Um, there's a comment here that small lot homes with virtually identical forms can appear dramatically different due to their details, but I'm not seeing details here um, that really do that. But most importantly, I think, uh, on sheet 11 following that. All building facades and exterior building elevations facing a street or a project perimeter shall, not should, shall be treated with an equal level of detail and articulation. And I don't, that's just a matter of fact. I don't know how anyone could argue that this is given the same detail of material and attention as the front facade is. So that being said, if you haven't figured out by now, I'm, I'm not convinced that the project complies with many of the requirements, actually. Um, not just with the general kind of direction that the guidelines are hoping for, but actual specific citations that state that the project shall, um, and clearly the project isn't doing that. I think it's really important that we Evaluate the project for what it is and make those findings for what they are. Um, California is moving to a more dense environment. We all know that. We all know that. Um, that's why I think it's really important that we get this right and that we just don't become the wild, wild west, right? That we make it up as we go. That's why we have the guidelines. So um, I'm not there yet. I don't know where everyone else is, but I just feel that it's not one or two items in the guidelines that we're not meeting. There's a number of them. Um, and again, I want to reiterate that they're by design. They're absolutely created inherent in the design that's been brought to us. None of them have to be there. So I did want to clear up too. Grandma coming to the barbecue. That's not, that's not my wish. That's a requirement in our guidelines that all common areas have path, paved pathways that go to them. So I know we debated about whether ADA would kick in here or not. We don't have to go there. It was already in the guidelines. So. Okay. You want to go to the next area? More comments? I really appreciate all the work that the developers done to address so many of the concerns from the first meeting, and I do think that we're on a path to get something that's approvable. I don't know if my colleagues are in a position to find conditions to make it such based on what we have, but I do think that the critical path is obviously on the north side of the property, uh, how the screening works, its relationship to the neighbors, um, how 
I appreciate that the windows are smaller in the back. It certainly makes the facade less interesting, but if the hedge has a relationship here and the, lar and the magnolia trees kind of do the interruption that they should, they seem to have the space, I should certainly break that up, and it's a different world. I mean, it's, and it is a different world. It's a different world between the neighborhood that exists, and it's a new world with the types of development that we're going to see more and more right here adjacent to it, and we got the commercial around it as well. This is a unique spot, right? It has relationships on all four sides. And I think it's very clear, uh, and I think wisely said, that the issue is not really what's along Catella. And I think I heard during the uh, recording I listened to, it said that uh, it's like a, a haircut. It's, you know, it's urban in front and rural, you know, and, and suburban in the back. Um, I thought that was well stated. Um, and at that point where that haircut hits suburban is the critical issue here. It's a critical issue of how do we allow a traditional neighborhood that um, serves a, fun a function of people's lives in a, in a magical way, as you guys have expressed yourselves. Um, I brought my family to Orange for the same reason, and I agree with everything you've said. I live in Old Town and wouldn't go anywhere else. The community's fantastic. And you give up a lot coming here. You give up a lot because sometimes your neighbors aren't perfect, and sometimes you have an apartment building next to you and you have to deal with it. And, but it's a historic house. So those are the kind of things that we do here. We compromise because things move forward, okay? We need to move forward, right? We need to move forward and make these types of communities work within our, because our kids won't stay here. Sorry, I know that's not a fire design review, but that's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to change. So we have change in front of us, and I think you've all been very kind with your comments on both sides, developer and residents. But I do think that this line, this relationship, folks, between this neighborhood that exists and this back edge with that rows of houses is what's critical here to find the right conditions for the aesthetic to work and for this new world to exist adjacent to what's existing in a comfortable way. For views, that's the critical line to me. And how the HOAs are written to make sure that's enforceable. Because you walk out are saying yes, I work with HOAs all the time on SB 326 stuff these days, they write whatever they do. You have to make it enforceable. Um, so my advice is we find the right type of conditions for view, and this line here, be it the trees and the tree choices that do or don't work. And we come to a place where we can say this is an acceptable project to move forward given the right conditions. That's my advice, and it, it, it lies on the northern edge of this property. And if, if my colleagues agree with me, I think that's the direction we should go, and if not, um, that's fine. But I, that's, that's, that's what I would say was my position. Okay, thank you. Mr. Farfan. Mm, I'd like to start off say thank you to everybody who's uh, presented comments, also to the professionals that have made changes. Um, maybe I stand alone. I think we're close. Uh, there's Just for the record, I just want to list my, my big items. Uh, I noticed some of the walkways are more than four feet. Probably that's because of the parking, dead-end parking. Um, if they, if we can have a constant dimension of four feet, that will give more space for landscape. Um, we, uh, the second items we, we talked about is removal of the gate and the hardscape, allowing more area for uh, planting between the units. Um, adding the tur turf area on the north uh, west um, triangle, that would really help. 
And then uh, one thing I didn't mention, but, you know, as you, as the alleyway terminates, instead of having one tree, you have three trees, I think that will really buffer and create a nice terminate to the, to the space. Uh, lastly, I think um, you said it well, public realm is, is mentioned in these guidelines and the importance of it. I think some of the terms I took from that, it's walkable and accessibility, connection to main elements, mass and proportions of the architecture. I, I feel in everything that I've done is landscape first and building second. It seems here buildings first, then landscape, kind of just wedge it in there and hopefully it works. And, and, it, and it carries a heavy load in terms of what it's supposed to do. And sometimes it's an organic um, you know, product, I guess I could say. It doesn't perform always how you want it to do. So it has to, you have to give it space. You have to give it the right root, um, root space. And with the utilities and transformers and the lighting and the mailbox, uh, everything is just, we're asking a lot for the landscape. And the landscape is, is going to tell you really quickly that it's not working. Um, so one thing, going back to this uh, City of Orange guidelines, one of the things that really caught my eye is landscaping should be used to soften walls, fences, and provide green screens where appropriate between buildings and adjacent properties. That's very important. I think it's important for the neighbors. It's important for uh, the folks that are going to be seeing this space as we walk, uh, ride, um, you know, go to the shopping centers. And uh, I live right down the street from this, um, and I'm going to be seeing this area a lot. So I want it to be done right. And I think we're close, but it's just uh, some of these things aren't being met, but they're really close. Thank you. Thank you for that, those eloquent comments. Uh, Anyone else care to comment? Mr. Ledesma. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so for me, I guess I'll start on um, by, again, um, really just commending the design team for the studies, the additional studies. I think that definitely helped um, us to take a look at the line of sight, screening, as well as the residents, just to see really, um, you know, what, what the implications are. Um, for me, um, I feel like, the bulk and mass is a big issue, um, as well as the unit count. Um, and they kind of play hand in hand. Um, the bulk and mass, I think, was, was massaged, but not enough to really help um, really just what's happening with the spacing between the buildings. Honestly, in losing a few buildings, you would gain more landscape space. I think with um, committee member Farfan's um, previous comment, um, regarding, you know, the potential of adding more green space. I mean, you are going to have families here. Um, you know, 49 units currently. Um, even if half of these, these units are, um, have kids, where are they going to play? You know, roof decks? You know, you've got a, a, a pocket park here, but that's not, gonna, that's not going to be sufficient. You know, so I honestly think that um, adding more green space and breathing room in between the units um, so that your landscaping can thrive and you can adjust the bulk and mass of these buildings so that they're more uh, aesthetically pleasing um, would help. So that would be my suggestion. Okay. So I agree with um, many of the comments that have been made up until now, including kudos to the design team for the work that you have done um, between meetings. Um, this is a dilemma that's being faced not just here in Orange, but really all throughout Southern California and beyond. We're, we're built out. There isn't any more raw land to build on. So what's happening is 
um, higher density development is coming in and replacing what was low density. So we're moving from this world of one story, primarily single family detached units, to a completely different world. And with that transition comes, you know, some grinding of the gears in that transition and some um, uh, some difficulties in, in making that transition in some cases. But because this is um, uh, a brand new project, first one to come under the city's new small lot subdivision standards and design guidelines, I think it is important that we really um, pay a lot of respect to that, to those guidelines, and require that projects live up to those um, guidelines. So primarily, um, for me, the most pertinent part of those is that um, new development um, should respect the adjacent buildings by responding to their scale massing and respecting of views. So does the project do that, and does it do it adequately? Um, there's a number of instances, and they have been named, um, but I'll quickly go through them again, where I believe the project, although you've done some work to try to address those things, still doesn't um, conform with those guidelines. And that would be the variety of the building architecture. You've got an A and a B, and it's repeated over and over. So even... Um, you know, sort of the look and feel of the city by who's, whoever's driving by on the streets um, tends to be a more cookie-cutter look um, that I think the guidelines are... The guidelines certainly are trying to discourage um, <clears throat> the massing and the bulk of these buildings vis-a-vis -vis the neighbors to the north. But for those neighbors to the north, this would be a much simpler project to try to evaluate. Um, but the, the length of the discussion here tonight and at the previous meeting um, is, uh, it tells a different story. Um, also, the project um, really has its back to those, architecturally, to those um, neighbors to the north. And everything looks exactly the same has been mentioned. And I don't think um, that the design is conforming with those design guidelines with that respect either. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask if um, staff, Monique, could you put up uh, L20, please? First, I do really want to... Um, commend the, the team for going item by item and thoroughly um, illustrating and considering uh, so many of our comments. I, I really appreciate that, and I, and I don't want to discount all the work that, that you've put into this. Um, however, uh, I, do, I am uh, concerned with so many of my colleagues' comments of the adherence to uh, our guidelines, which this is the first, this first small lot subdivision we've seen. So I'm stepping back a bit and thinking whatever it is that we say is okay, 
with this project that's the line that all other projects are going to say this is as much as much compatibility as much you know respecting the neighborhood context or character or articulation whatever it is this is as much as is needed to be approved so I want to make sure that that we don't just say well you know this is adequate is it adequate did they check the box I think this has to really really conform to the guidelines as was mentioned before and I look at this view and I realize that it's most you know it's not completely showing all the colors and all of the all of the features that you that you might be seeing but still this is really austere when you consider what the other buildings the other neighborhood context is this I think is too it's oversimplified it is overwhelming for the neighbors and it is it does it does not have the required treatment for the facades to be equal in in their character and their detailing and there's so many of them marching along looking the same it I can't I can't say that it that it meets the the guidelines for compatibility it is it's harsh still even with and I do appreciate very much that there was stepping back there is more articulation on the rear the the two-story units but I don't think that this is something that we can set used to set a precedent for all the other small lot developments that are going to come after this so I I agree with the the other the other committee members that this isn't ready the question is how do we want to how do we want to deal with this do we want to continue the project and have more changes or do you feel that this is as much as you're willing to do at this point and you want us to vote and send you on to planning commission because you're going one way or another so would it with the applicant like to to respond Brad Perosi with intercorp homes we'll just go ahead and take a vote okay we can do that we will we'll make a motion and take a vote yeah do we need a few minutes to consider that or if somebody are we ready to chair I can make a motion to recommend denial okay wanting to have asked somebody else to make a motion to know I just if we make a motion to recommend and that's perfectly fine to recommend denial I want to make sure that we that that we know the basis for that denial and so if we and that we and that we can articulate it within the motion so that we convey those issues to the Planning Commission and subsequently to the City Council right should it go next so why wouldn't you vote on staff's recommendation to approve and take a vote 
Well, so let's let's okay, not it, let's it, not get into a dialogue back and forth. You, there's a motion on the table. Well, we're, we haven't. We are discussing putting the motion on the yeah. table. It's not quite there, but yes, right. Chair, could, I'd like to just ask for a short recess right now, if we could, and then we can, let's let's sort take, this out. Okay, let's take a, a five or ten minute break. How long do you feel? Give us give us ten minutes, and uh, then we'll reconvene. Uh, and working through this, we appreciate we appreciate the public participation. So, to get back to the meeting. Uh, we were just about ready to entertain a motion. Yeah, Chair, I'd like to propose a motion. I move to uh, recommend denial of the project to the Planning Commission based on the facts that the project does not comply with several of the guidelines spelled out in the small lot subdivision guidelines and that it also doesn't comply with the view um, uh, viewing into neighbor property uh, requirements that the city has for infill development. And uh, for those reasons, I uh, recommend denial. Clarification, if I may? Before yes, I please. So if one votes in opposition to the denial because a member feels that there's conditions that can be applied, I just want to make it very clear. Um, that would be an option of that vote as well. Yes. Yes. I'm happy to. Very good. You, you can just vote yes. no on the motion, right? Okay. So let's let's continue with this with this motion. I'd like to make a second and also suggest um, some amendments to the motion. I I've actually already. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm done sorry. that. I was only going to ask the maker of the motion if you would include that. Due to this, the findings cannot be made. I, I accept that amendment to my motion. Okay. Okay. Further discussion? And I'd like to suggest that the motion, um, the first part of which you said it doesn't comply, and then go on to say namely and list um, two or three of the main um, features of the design guidelines where we found um, that it did not comply. To just be yeah, more specific your, about those. You're wanting to do that um, for reasons that I have for that actually making it through to the intended audience. I would prefer to withdraw my motion and someone else could make such a motion. Okay. Do you want to that, and that's okay. I can withdraw the motion. And okay. If somebody wants to make it more elaborate, I was hoping to keep it simple. Uh, hmm. So just in the interest of clarity, why don't yes. we vote on the vote on the motion, motion that's that on the, on the floor. Table. Yep. Okay. Well, it hasn't been seconded. It has I been think seconded. it has been seconded. Yeah. Oh, by, okay. Seconded by Mr. Bowman. Okay. Okay. So the motion has been, so we can vote on it, but let me, but, but do you want to withdraw your motion? No, I will not withdraw it since it's, he's right. It has been seconded. Let's vote on it and see if it carries. Yeah. Oh, turn on your mic, please. Would you could you say that on your mic? And then, if that motion should happen to fail, then you can someone else can make another motion. Right, it might not pass. Right. Okay, so let me just then clarify for the committee members that if you vote yes on this, but you would 
Well, if you'd prefer to have a different motion, you can vote no and then make a motion to approve well, with you conditions. You know what? I, I'm going to jump in. I'm sorry. You know, we should – so you can make a substitute motion. I don't know what I was thinking. If you would like, make a substitute motion to the original motion. Mm-hmm. Would you like to make a more detailed motion? I'd like to offer a substitute motion uh, to recommend denial to the Planning Commission on the basis that the committee could not make the required findings that the project meets all of the requirements of the Orange Municipal Code, in particular the small lot subdivision guidelines with the goal of ensuring that small lot subdivisions fit into the existing neighborhood context and specifically does not meet compliance with um, the requirement that buildings should respect adjacent buildings by responding to their scale massing scale and massing and follow the established size, shape, and form of surrounding neighborhoods, and that landscaping should be used to soften walls walls and fences, and that uh, there should be sufficient architectural variety um, within the uh, overall design. Okay, we have a motion, and um, Mr. Imboden has seconded that motion. Is that correct? No. Is there a second for this substitute motion? It shows that I did, but I didn't. But you didn't. Okay. So, so that's okay. So I will second it. I have seconded the substitute motion. Um, is there any further discussion before we vote? So this is a motion to deny recommendation. Uh, to the uh, Planning Commission. I'm sorry, so which motion is being voted on? This is the, the, sec- the, the, sub- the substitute the motion. This is Marianne's motion. motion. Okay. 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 Please vote. Okay. The motion passes. Uh, so, so, the, so this is, we'll go on to the Planning Commission. Um, and, but we do not recommend approval to the planning commission. Okay. Anything further on this? Okay. Then we can we can move on to the next item, which is adjournment. But before we adjourn the meeting, I would like um, to recognize committee member Fox for an announcement. Uh, so next meeting is going to be my final meeting, um, and then I'm going to be stepping down from 12 years of service uh, on this committee. Which we're, we are all very, very grateful for 12 years of exceptional service. We'll say our long goodbyes at the next meeting. Thank you all for being here. Uh, the meeting is now adjourned. Um, Good night.